Hi, everybody. What day is it today? It is January 3rd, 2020. Can you believe it? We are in 2020. The Roaring Twenties are back again. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my live chat. This is episode 13. I hope you are doing well. The very first one of 2020. I am glad you're here. So without further ado, uh, why don't we just get things started? And we're back. All right. Thank you guys again so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, let's see. A uh, couple of housekeeping notes. Please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, we'll talk about some things about this later. But uh, yes, for now, please get that going. I always appreciate that when you do. Uh, I am looking like a homeless man. Um... Because my daughter, I think, has hit another sleep regression, and I just haven't slept. So, what's new, really, with that? Nothing. Mm. But all right. Welcome to the live chat. I appreciate everyone who's tuning in, as I said, probably for the third time now. What we'll do is uh, we'll get to your questions that I put on the community tab. I put up a thread on the community tab on Thursdays, I'll look at these, and then if you don't, you are certainly under zero obligation to leave a donation. If you do, though, however, I will definitely get to your question. But please don't feel obligated to do that. Those are always just a generous bonus. Those are not part and parcel of what this is meant to be about. So there you go. Uh, okay, without further ado, let us kick this off. The very first one of 2020. What can you say? Unbelievable. All right. You can hear my dog barking. So tired I am is I I'll st I have to get up with a baby like every day this week, uh, and um, I'll go back to bed and take like a bit of a nap if I can. I will wake up from that nap. Usually I, I would wake up from a nap like that and be like, "Wow, I feel great, dude." I will wake up from that nap and it will take every ounce of energy I have to get up. Like I just can never feel refreshed. It's wild. All right, which current UFC champ do you think will lose their belt first in twenty twenty? All right, let's pull up a list of the champions just so I don't forget somebody. So that would be John, well, excuse me, that would be Henry Cejudo. Well, I guess he's going to give up one at flyweight, so don't count that. Henry Cejudo, Volkanovski, Nurmagomedov, Kamaru Usman, Adesanya, John Jones, Stipe, Zhang Wiley, Valentina Shevchenko, Amanda Nunes. Well... You're probably your top candidate is not because uh, th these are all obviously insanely talented fighters. You're you're probably your obvious candidate among them. Uh, I would say two different ways. One would be Cejudo at bantamweight because I don't think that's his natural weight class. Even though he had problems making 125 at various intervals in his career. Also, Zhang Wiley, she's insanely talented, but she's just a the queen right now of a very very tough division. Like that's one of those divisions where. Uh, I think a few people are going to end up holding the belt over the next couple of years. But the question is for how long, because that's very, very difficult to do in that division. So we'll see how things go down there. Um, I will say, though, that like if you think about like let's, let's think about like your top five pound for pounds. Right. So you, top 10, you got Tony Ferguson, who is not a belt holder. And then you've got Volkanovski, Usman, Adesanya, Cormier, Nunez. 
Miocic, Cejudo, so it was at three, really? Well, I guess so. Two, Nurmagomedov, and then Jones at one. I have to tell you, uh, between like Jones and Nurmagomedov and certainly Stipe, if he fights DC, one never knows because that's a very competitive bout right there. But even among these ones that seem like, you know, institutions, like Nurmagomedov's undefeated and John Jones is, for all intents and purposes, basically undefeated, I got a feeling that, like, either this year or next, that whole paradigm for one of them might come to an end. And I don't I don't really have a good explanation as to why or when or under what mechanism. So I'm not, I'm not, these are not an argument, this is not an argument I'm trying to, like, desperately convince you of. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. If someone asks me, like, oh, prove it, I, I certainly could not. But just sort of an inkling I have that, like, every time you get to any situations where somebody has been, like, it's extremely difficult to be dominant in MMA in the way that these guys have been, period. But you'll notice that in many of these cases, uh, the top, it's been, not all words, like the case of Silva is not this case. And then part of the way for St. Pierre, it wasn't this way, but it's very hard to do that in your 20s. Dude, it's even hard to do, even harder, excuse me, to do that in your 30s which both of them are now rounding into. Uh, certainly Jones has been 34 uh, for a while. I don't know, man. Something about it makes me uneasy. I'm not telling you that, like, oh, these John Jones is going to lose his next fight because I don't know that, although I do think Reyes is criminally underrated. But okay, like, you know, Jones is your deserved favorite there. And Nurmagomedov, I mean, dude, look at who he's going to have to fight. He's going to have to fight Tony Ferguson. Probably Justin Gaethje at some point. We'll talk about what's going to happen with McGregor in just a minute, I'm sure. But that is, <laughs> man, like however hard it was to get to this point, it's going to be even harder to maintain. I mean, you, you want to be the champion of, of the lightweight or the welterweight divisions, dude. So you could throw Camaro on that list too. <sighs> man, those are, I mean, St. Pierre made it look so easy because he was a once-in-a-generation talent. But in general... Those divisions have belts that are hard to hold on to. And Tyron Willie did pretty well for a time. Um, and certainly, I think you have to count him as one of the top four. I've said this before. You have to count him as one of the top four welterweights. But, uh, you know, that's even that is incredibly distinguished company. I, 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 dude, MMA is one of these, like, MMA is one of these um, sports where, you know, you do have these long-running championship reigns at times, you know. But... Every time people start thinking that someone's like, ah, there's no one for this guy, there's no one for that guy, that's when I start to get like the, you know? Why do I have the trending tab up? Because I don't need that. Um, do you have any guilty pleasure conspiracy theories? Doesn't mean you fully endorse it, or endorse it in any capacity whatsoever, I would add. But anything you're, you recommend your audience, quote, look into it. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought the Loch Ness Monster thing was interesting, and I guess I wanted to go to Scotland. Um, Bigfoot, no. Are ghosts conspiracy theories? What would you call that? But even then, no. Um, I will say that, like, you know, do I have ultimate trust that the government is utterly unaware of, in some capacity or the other, like... Um, if they were to come out and say that there's no current evidence of life on other planets, would I necessarily believe that they were telling the truth? Not necessarily. Or that in every case. I think Edward Snowden talked about this like to Joe Rogan, right? About like uh, whether or not the CIA knew of any aliens. Um, you know, I don't know what this... I, I, 
it's not a conspiracy theory in the same way. A conspiracy theory is a particular kind of paranoia related on a certain event or idea. Um, i trying to think. I mean, I've had superstitions. Like, you know, there were certain songs on my <laughs> Dying Fetus playlist I would skip when my wife was pregnant. Like, I wouldn't listen to Womb to Waste. You know, just like a can't hurt to do that kind of thing. But a conspiracy theory? Like a... No. I, I mean, I'm trying to think, but I don't... No, I don't think so. I know that's going to sound like, oh, Rook's no fun, that's lame. Well, then it's lame, but... I'm try- I mean, I'm not saying there's not, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But, like, aliens might be a thing. Um, and, you know, a little superstitious here or there with certain things. With a little, a little Pascal's wagerism with, you know doing the right thing just in case kind of thing. All right. Khabib has stated in numerous interviews he won't fight McGregor. So what happens if Conor beats Cowboy and hypothetically beats Masvidal? What does Conor and the UFC do? Can they really force Khabib to take that fight? No, they cannot. I've been thinking a lot about this too, man. There's a lot of different ways that could go. So like the most obvious one is that they eventually just cajole him into taking it. And by the way, if you listen to the interview with Brett Okamoto and Dana White, it's not exactly what Dana says. Dana treats, and maybe he misspoke or maybe whatever. We played that portion of the audio and dissected it on my show yesterday. If you listen carefully, the way he presents it is that the Masvidal fight is there in case things don't go right against Cerrone, right? So that something bad happens against Cerrone, they got this, you know, backup BMF fight essentially. Now, whether Jorge would be into it, I suspect that he would be just for the paycheck alone. But, you know, you get the idea. Like, there's, there's some complicating factors there, too. But as it relates to Khabib, man, I have really, I have wondered about that as well. If you guys did not be paying attention, he's been pretty clear. Like, he said, you know, this guy's going to have to win not one time, ten times for me to fight him again. And you could understand probably why. It was taxing on him. It wasn't great for his, not I'm saying his brand. Like, he, he got blown up to the world. But, uh you know, it was just a. His religion got dragged through the mud. His family got dragged through the mud. I think he found the entire episode disgraceful, and he doesn't want to do it again. And for a guy who would lose to him and then beat a guy who's coming off of two losses, you know, Habib would be absolutely right to uh, to say that this guy is not your number one contender. Justin Gaethje is, um, even though Justin and Khabib have the same manager. That to me would not be a factor to not give Justin the fight. I think we all agree Tony's next. Okay. And then after that, the answer, uh, we'll see what happens there. But if Khabib wins, the answer should be Justin, but, you know, it probably won't be. What can they do? Well, one, they can just convince him. Maybe give him a raise, you know, um, limit what kind of exposure they have to each other pre-fight or something. You know, find some kind of way to just get a deal done. That's one. Two, what they might end up doing, dude. And honestly, I, you know, I wouldn't put this as the likeliest possibility, but I wouldn't put this as, like, some kind of remote possibility either. Dude, they just might strip him. He might vacate the title. Did you guys see in uh, Artur, I'm going to fuck up some of the details here, but I think it's Artur Baterbiev, had a mandatory title defense of one of his, I think his IBF belt, if memory serves. The purse bid winning uh, put the fight in China. And uh, he said no. He said no. He said okay, their treatment of the Uyghur Muslims, uh, no, I won't. I won't go do it. And so, in all likelihood, means he has to give up his belt. Now, you could say, well, what 
you know, that's the IBF belt or whatever. And, you know, Baterbiev is not the global brand that Habib is. I'm not, I'm not in any way telling you it's not the, uh, their equivalent. I guess what I'm saying to you is if the guy really is a man of principle and they're like, this is the next fight and he is being true to his word, they might strip him. He might walk away from the belt. God only knows, man. Now, my hunch is that if he does it, he'll be branded as somebody who, um, my, my hunch is that they're going to convince him. Because the rough spot that he's in is that if he doesn't take that fight, however illegitimate you might believe McGregor to be in terms of a deserving contender for the title from a meritocratic standpoint, I mean, just look at the optics. There are certain people who believe that the first fight, I don't know if they thought it was close, but Connor rejuvenated or something would be a different ball game for him. I tend to think that's a lot of wishful thinking, but that that perspective is out there. If he is told that Connor is next, Connor will make a let's say let's say Connor makes a big stink about it. If if Nurmagomedov doesn't take the fight, dude, he'll be branded as like a total coward. I'm not telling you that's a fair branding. I'm not telling you it's one I agree with. The fact I flat out don't, but the optics of it would look quite bad. It would look bad, and I think he'd be put into a corner at that point. I mean, there's, that's the problem with, like, Connor doesn't have leverage from the standpoint of, like, you know, has he really, truly done enough to be a title contender? But in terms of the public perception of things and how he could be on the right side there, yeah, he's got a lot. He's got a lot, man. It would be a real bad look for uh, for Khabib if they made it, if they want to go this direction, say, well, he just doesn't want to fight him. And people would say, oh, it's because he's afraid. Yeah, he knew he got him when he wasn't ready. You know, he was coming off that year off. The guy didn't take it seriously. This is the new Connor. You can just see how they'd present it to the public. They'd present it in a way where he would look like, uh, uh, you know, in his words, a chicken. Again, I don't think that's reflective of reality, but it doesn't matter what I think about that. What matters is what they could sell to an audience and how that might affect him. So just keep that in mind. So, I, you know, he could give it up. They could strip it. My hunch is that they will find a way to convince him. But... You know, here's the other part about it. As every economist will tell you, economics 101, right? No such thing as a free lunch. That would very badly strain, I think, the relationship between UFC and and, uh, Khabib. However good or bad it is, it would make it worse. I I don't think that they walk out of that, like, in anything other than the most, you know, transactional relationship you can think of. It would be bad. It would be bad. But they might do it. Heard news today that Edson Barboza is considering a move to featherweight. Not a considering. Apparently they announced that joint. Do you think this uh, this will be of any benefit? Do you think this will be of any benefit to him? Um, well, I'll say this. Uh, generally, I'm skeptical of going down in weight as you age. Uh, there have not been a ton of fighters who have done it, but some. Um, you know, you had Valentina Shevchenko go from 135 to 125. I know that's a bit different, but okay, she did it. You had Dillashaw go 135 to 125. It was an epic disaster for more than just competitive reasons. You had Aldo go down to 120, excuse me, 135 from 145. And I didn't think he was going to make weight and I didn't think he was going to perform well. He did both. Whether or not you think he won or he lost, he performed well. So in that spirit where you have um, 
these misbegotten adventures, but also with surprising results married with inside all of that. I'll just say I'll I'll reserve judgment to see what he looks like. My hunch, though, is that it's like this. A new set of opponents and fresh matchups always seems to be a bit of a good thing, right? Whether you're going up or down in weight. Yeah, you're going 155 to 170. New life so many times, right? That's a good thing. Um, it can absolutely spark a bit of a rejuvenation in your career. But if you're if you're looking for it, it's because something has gone a bit wrong. Where, you know, why would you need that spark? You need that spark because you're in no man's land. You're not going to go anywhere in the division that you're in. I think Barboza has lost, what, three of four? Now, I thought he won the Felder fight, and if he had... That would have been two in a row, the hooker fight and then the Felder fight. But obviously, you know, he got slept several times before that. So this is my point. We'll see how he looks at um, 145 pounds. I don't know how his speed is going to translate. I don't know how his power is going to translate. I don't know how any of that's going to translate. One thing that you – but by the way, which is to say it could look really great. I think my only point is, to me – you can't outrun the damage. Like the damage is just there. You know, it doesn't matter what it could, it could go up in weight. It, it it doesn't. You can't outrun the damage. And to me, that's been a big part of some of his problems in terms of um, getting wins and losses. It's the ability to absorb damage. Now he's very good at handing it out. That part has always been true. Um, the other part is how his you know he and Marais guys have kind of figured out a little bit, and it's easier said than done. I'm not saying that somebody ranked in the top, you know, 20 could do it to him, and, and even at 155. But you get these situations where, um, you know, it turns out if you can crowd Marais, he's a he's a handful in the first round. But if you can crowd him, he is much, much, much more manageable in the second and third. Ditto for Edson Barboza. You can get up in his grill and get him backing up. He is not the same fighter. You know, you give him room to do what he wants to do. Yeah, he'll annihilate you. But uh, I, I think that's another challenge he's up against. That doesn't change by virtue of going to 145 other than to what extent are the fighters there functionally capable of exacting that particular style. And my answer at the top would be probably very good. But um, anyway, you get the point. So there, 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 you have these physical limits you cannot outrun in terms of damage. And then you have these strategic challenges where – there's a lot of tape on you. You've been around for a while. I think he's, what, 22 UFC fights he's been in? It's in Barboza. So with that being what it is, um, people are going to know how to beat him. Again, whether they can do that, different story. Uh, but if someone said, how do you beat Adesanya? And let's assume for a second that the takedown is not a part of the equation. I don't know that people have a lot of good ideas about that just yet. Maybe they will eventually. But right now they don't, you know. All right. Uh, what are your goals for this channel in the 2020s? Continue growing, branch out to new topics or material. There might be some branching. I would say that the branching out to different topics is going to be fairly limited uh, in this next year. Um, again, there will be some, but probably not what some of you might be thinking. Um, but I am actually working on, I don't know if it's going to happen, so I'll just say that up front. But I will also put my cards on the table and say, I'm actually working on a deal right now to blow this thing up. Um, we'll see if we can get it done. I don't know that we will. 
things look good right now, but we have, I've not signed anything. I've not even seen the paperwork. We just kind of worked out deal points, um, with a, uh, with a company that would do a lot. So if they, if I sign that deal, uh, if we can get a deal worked out, there's going to be a lot that changes here in terms of, um, the production quality, um, you know, a lot of different things. So in terms of the topicing, topical branching out, some, but mostly it's going to be what it is, you know, MMA combat sports focused with a goal of like, let's, I've reached the point now here. I mean, here's basically the problem I'm up against. I do everything myself, right? I got to tell you one of the best things I did. I can't remember if I did in 2018 or 2019. I think I did in 2018. But one of the best things I did was buying everything you're looking at. This camera, these two monitors, this tower, everything I needed to. I was like, man, I feel like if I don't invest in myself, I felt, I felt like at the time, if I didn't invest in myself in the right way, in a way that I wanted to be invested in, you know, I'd been waiting for other companies to do it, and it just didn't seem like that ship was ever going to come in. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to invest in myself because I believe in what I can do. And so I did, and uh, the benefit of that was like, one, the channel grew in ways even I didn't imagine. And then two, the other thing that was great about it was it also like caught everyone's attention around me in ways that I was really, that I wanted it to. So it actually was like, it, it, I mean, one of the best decisions I ever made, man. And, you know, it wasn't cheap. <laughs> it was, I could have bought a, I could have bought a nice car with the amount of money I had to invest. But um, in terms of getting the results that I wanted and also the revenue stream to pay for it, Best decision I've made in a long time. And I can't believe I waited as long as I did to do it, but better late than never, right? But the problem I'm up against now is that I've invested in the infrastructure. I've invested in the content. I've got a deal with SiriusXM about content going back on the YouTube channel. Like, everything's in place. The problem is I do literally everything myself. I do everything. I do everything from the shooting to the lighting to the editing to the uploading. If it goes on social, I'm the guy that does it. And I need help. I need help. And so I, um, I put out a call for it for different people, and I got a lot of great responses. And as I was going through it, then I got hit up by this. Uh, I'll leave all the details you know, a little bit blank for the moment, but I got hit up by this company that was like, there's a lot we can do together. And so that's who I'm talking to now. And if that ends up working out, um, you know, I, there's going to be a lot of great things that will happen here. I want to I I do a lot more than what I'm doing now. I'm just kind of maxed out on what I can do by myself. So um, that's the issue. In terms of like, you know, numbers, I mean, it would be nice to get to 200K by 2021. I don't know how likely that is. I've not put a firm, I've not stated that as a goal because it's just hard to know exactly what's going to happen with this deal and if what's going to happen, but uh, that'd be nice. But really the big, the big key for me is I got to level up. You know, I've taken it very far, but I got to level it up. I need, I need outside assistance. Uh, what do you think the UFC has, why, excuse me, why do you think the UFC has dialed down on the press conferences and promos for the events now as compared to before? Well, I don't, I don't think they've dialed down the promos. I mean, they put out one for UFC 246 this week, and I suspect there'll be more as we get closer. The promos for the past year's events were pretty underwhelming. Oh, I think you mean like in terms of quality? And it seems to be the trend going to the new year so far with UFC 246. Well... I mean, they put out one yesterday. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, the bigger question to me is, what about pressers? What about um, um, uh, not media day? Uh, open workouts. You guys notice that they're kind of moving away from that. That seems interesting. I mean, the attitude is this: I don't think the fighters really like doing open workouts. They've kind of made the best of it, 
And you see them in boxing, but in boxing it sort of makes a little bit more sense, you know, where they're going to go fight in a, a boxing match and then they're going to hit mitts ahead of time or whatever. I don't know. It just sort of seems a little bit more natural. Um, but I don't think the fighters, I mean, I, some might like it, obviously, but I think a lot of them don't. I think a lot of them see it as an unnecessary waste. And a lot of them are just showing up and not doing anything, taking questions from the fans or having fans fight like <laughs> Jorge was doing, which was from an assurance standpoint, inadvisable. Uh, so I think what they're trying to do is, you know, they go in these certain creative waves where they'll do things for a long time until it just gets kind of old and stale. And then they'll just decide, well, let's just do all, move on to something else. The promos, I mean, I'm not, I'll be honest, I don't pay a ton of, ten, a ton of attention to them anyway. Um, does every card need one? And I got to say, they used to have the same, I mean, if you thought they were bad, or they're bad now, they used to have, who, what was the card where like, BJ Penn fought uh, Diego Sanchez and I think it was Czech Congo, Frank Mir. Right around that time, they had one guy doing all the promos. A storm is coming. You know, like there was no, there was, you know, it was like every movie trailer you've ever seen in your life just over and over and over again. They go in waves. Dude, they used to have a point where like every UFC event would have its own website. So like it would be like, you know, UFC64.UFC.com, UFC65.UFC.com. They've dotted all that stuff back in part because it's hard to do at scale and in part because they go through these creative waves. It seems like we're between an old paradigm and a new one in terms of how they want to how they want to promote fights and how they want to set up fan and media events. We're in a bit of a middle period, and it feels a little bit like some things are coming, some things are going, and they haven't quite decided which one's which yet. Just give it time. Well, I think Brian Campbell is texting me. Hater shit. Oh my god. Hold on. Brian Campbell. All right. So just let's see how things go. What is your take on Kayla Harrison currently? Will she eventually make the jump to the UFC? Is her weight class going to hamper her possible growth outside of the PFL? Well, that's nothing new. That was always going to be the case. I don't know if I have any. Um, she's waiting to be a star, basically. She's waiting to be a star. Um, she's obviously the face of the PFL, which I think she knew heading into this year, but certainly coming out of it, she is. Uh, we'll see what happens with Rory. Maybe he could take that mantle, but for now it's her. But for her, it's just a lot of, I mean, the last fight I thought was not the best demonstration of her ability, which is to say her opponent just had, you know, again, survive, defend, attack are usually the levels and her opponent did a good job of surviving and defending. And it just wasn't a great showcase moment for her. I think she's waiting for him, but the good news for her is that you know, while I don't think was it Tuesday night was a great showcase moment for her, it won't really be until she fights someone who's who's got some considerable ability. But I just don't see how that happens in the PFL unless they give her somebody who's got considerable ability but is like not naturally in her weight class, like a Sarah Kaufman or something. But even then, it's going to take two. You know, it all it's always this way. It takes two big names to promote a fight. I mean, maybe Connor's the exception because he's so big, but in general, it takes two names to promote a fight. I Man, that is the general rule. You know, Wilder versus, you know, 
Ortiz is great. Wilder versus Fury, too, is a lot better. Two big names. Uh, and so, I think she'll probably continue to be the face of the organization so long as she is in there. She'll continue to make good money as long as she is in there. I think that, obviously, other promoters are probably looking for an opportunity to find a way to use her. But if you just look at women's 145, you know, it's a real problem for them in the UFC, much less women's 155. There's just not a lot out there of any real um, significance. And unless the UFC can, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and find somebody else or Bellator and they want to put something together. But, um, you know, if you're Bellator, okay, well, Bellator might be do a deal because, um, well, here's the thing. Bellator and Ryzen have deals where there's a lot of robust sharing back and forth. It's not just the Kyoji Horiguchi thing. It's the Kyoji Horiguchi thing amongst a, a, a bigger two-brand integration. And the and Bellator, I think they believe they get some value out of that. I don't know what value Bellator would get from a larger brand integration of PFL. PFL is looking for every bit of third-party validation they can get, which Bellator would provide it. What does Bellator get from that? And you could say, well, what does Bellator get stateside from Ryzen? Not much. What does Bellator get internationally from Ryzen? Probably a lot. Probably a lot, man. There's probably a lot that they benefit from as it relates to that. Uh, I don't think Coker's doing it because he's just drunk on nostalgia. I mean, he might be he might obviously be a bit of a hopeless romantic for the era of bygone MMA, but I don't think that's really what's driving all of that. Um, to do a to do a cyborg Kayla deal, if that's one you could actually do, like what I, I mean, maybe they could offer something. I'm not really sure. But, you know, the other person who might be the big name over there is the one that Bellator let go. I mean, that sort of tells you how, how you know, where they sort of see themselves positioned relative to PFL. PFL's got their hands full with this one. And UFC, if they want to make a deal, I suppose, I'm sure that, I'm sure that they could. Um, but you, you need two big names to promote a fight. The problem is, in judo, she had plenty of competition within the judo world in terms of big names. Again, inside that world that she could do. Outside of that, it's a much, 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 much different equation. But in the meantime, she's making dumb cash, man. You know? So, um, how many fights has she had? I cannot even keep track. Let's see. She has had, to date, seven fights. Yeah, and not... I mean, Larissa Pacheco deserves a Wikipedia entry, but none of them have Wikipedia entries. So she fought three times in 2018, four times this past year in May, July, October, and then uh, December. Um, she went to the distance in the beginning, against, both times against Pacheco, she went the distance. Yeah, it would have been nice to see some growth there and then to tear her up at the end, but, um, you know, she's still, got some, she's still got some work to do. She's still got some work to do. So but if you look at her, like, judo record, look at all the names there that... Uh, Look at all the names there that have Wikipedia entries. All of them do, virtually, especially towards the end here. And I don't know who they are, but in the judo world, they're all like the very best of the best. She just doesn't have, you know, she just doesn't have uh, a worthy adversary. And I don't know who is in a proper position to frankly give her one. You know, it's really the issue. How is McGregor's gas tank going to look at 170? Is he is looking McJacked in recent online posts? When did when did Conor McGregor not look jacked? When I, I, I saw the pictures, he does look bigger, 
but he's always had big shoulders and like, you know, uh, like, yeah, he definitely looks bigger. Don't get me wrong, but like, I don't know. I think a lot of that's just, bl- you know, a lot of, that, a lot of that looks to me like hype. Um, but I'll say this, look, and I, I mentioned this on my show yesterday, like what's the right attitude to take into this Conor McGregor fight? If you're uh, a fan and you see what John Cavanaugh posts on Twitter and you're like, okay, man, the boy's got the band back together. This is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. He's going to tear these fools up. The old Connor's back. It's going to be another, you know, the halcyon days of Conor McGregor are back, baby. All that kind of stuff. I do not recommend that worldview. I'm not suggesting to you that's what John Cavanaugh is recommending, but I'm telling you, like, if that's your response, I'd dial it back a little bit. On the other hand, um, you know, oh, he's going to go in there and get washed. He's he's done. Blah blah blah. Again, I don't know what the truth is about whether he's washed or not washed, or whether the Halcyon days are back or not. But I don't find either of those positions—he's washed or the Halcyon days are back—I don't find either of those to be the best place to be. Here's what I think to me is like the sensible position, less so middle ground, because I'll explain in just a second. But the way I would look at it is, I don't know if Connor is as good as he once was. Only time will tell. And by the way. Um, it could be the case that if he's really serious about fighting three times, he could be better by the end of the year than he is now, right? So even if he shows you some flashes of brilliance but some problems early, that's not necessarily problems that could carry over or they could. But the point being is whatever he looks like against Cerrone, that isn't necessarily an indication of what it'll look like the rest of the year. But here, here's the way I think the best way to come into this. Even a Connor who is not as good as what he once was, which isn't to say not, not not a guy who's not training. I mean, you can train, dude. You've missed all this time to get good and to to maintain and and improve your craft. Like, there's a lot of downtime he's had over the past few years. Um, you got a lot of time to make up for. So I'm going to assume, as a general view, that he's probably not going to be as good as he once was. But I don't know that. I'm making a you know theoretical assumption here. But even if that's the case, he still should be good enough to beat Cerrone. Not because Cerrone is some kind of chump, but because it is a bad style matchup for him. I've gone over this before, this weird thing where people are saying, oh, Connor will fight anyone, anytime. Well, that definitely used to be the case. Uh, for example, in the Chad Mendez fight or you know, fighting Nate Diaz on short notice. Um, one time it did him great, another time it did not do him so great. But that's clearly not true. Like, okay, it used to be true for a time, but it hasn't been true for a long time. And frankly, nor would I expect it to be. <laughs> like, it's not realistic. The dude who fights anyone, he'll fight anyone. That's a person who's going to take some L's. Basically. That's the person, more or less, that's the person who's going to lose. And Connor's in a position now where he can't really do that. I know he's got a reputation for that to a large extent, well-deserved, but that's not what he's doing right now. You can't be the guy who picks and chooses and also be the guy who gets to surf on the reputation that you'll fight anyone. I'm not even mad that he's fighting Cerrone. I have said it's the smart call. I endorse it. And I also don't think it's an easy gimme fight. But it's not the same as being like, I'll fight anyone. Because if it was fighting anyone, you'd be fighting Justin. That's just the way it goes. And he's not. Okay, So this weird thing about like how we're going to label him. My point being is, I don't know what 
where he's going to come in on this one. But I think a good baseline is to assume, uh, even if he's a little bit diminished from what he was, that's still enough to beat Cerrone, which is precisely why he took this fight, because the style advantage for him is so strong. I went over it yesterday, his coach being like, oh, he's only got a left hand. Yeah, but it, may be, it might be the best left hand ever. I mean, it, you know, and also it's not even true, but you get the idea. Um, so he could build from that. He could diminish from that. He might lose and you might say, well, that was a baseline that wasn't quite accurate. He might come up there and look amazing. Uh, and you might say, well, he looks like he might be fully all the way back, but whatever he ends up being, I just think the, 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 the rational safe position to adopt is that even if he's a little bit less than what he was, that should still be enough to get a win on January 18th. And you can go from there. And then you can go from there. Um, and we'll see what he does. So how's his gas tank going to look? I suspect probably just fine. I suspect he won't really need it. But we we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see where the rubber meets the road. There's just no way to know ahead of time. Because, dude, they're going to say a bunch of shit. And, you know, if you thought he looked good on Sal, wait to see him on steak. And, you know, it was just a nonsense statement. But at the same time, I don't want to be one of these guys who look, you know, is underestimating Connor. I don't think that's a wise, you know, it's not a wise position to adopt. The, the, the fight against Cerrone was a smart call by him. It was the right strategic move for this portion, portion of his career. He's still a very tough challenge, but it's one that Connor should be able to answer. So let's see on that baseline of diminished from his peak, but still good enough to win. Let's see if he can build on that or, or he's less than that. And then I think, you know, just make a determination uh, on the night of January 18th. That's what we'll do. Hi, Luke. What are your thoughts on UFC 246 fight card? It sucks a lot. Uh, I think it's a fairly weak card, especially considered uh, compared to the last two. Dana just using McGregor's name to purely sell the card. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a terrible card. It sucks. I mean, I'm going to buy it, but it sucks. So you have Connor versus Cerrone at the top. Uh, you got Holm versus Pennington 2. It's okay. Olenek versus Maurice Green. No thanks. Claudia Gadelia versus Alexa Grasso. That's okay. Pettis versus, pardon me, Carlos Diego Fajera. That's, that's interesting-ish. Modafferi versus Barber on the ESPN2 card. It's okay. Feely versus Sadiq Youssef. That's a good fight. That's a great fight. Uh, Drew Dober versus Nasrat Hack Parast. It's okay. Chas Skelly versus Grant Dawson. It's okay. Uh, Alexa Kamer taking on Justin Ledette and his mullet. That's fine. Tim Elliott versus Askar Askarov is interesting. Brian Kelleher, boom, is back against Ode Osborne. Fine. And then Sabina Mazo versus J.J. Aldrich. Um, yeah. Um, excuse me. I got to clear my throat there. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I said it was bad. It's not bad, but, you know, you got Alexia Lennox versus Marie Screen on the main card. It's not... It's not a star-studded event. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fight night card, basically, with Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone at the top. But I'm going to buy it because, you know, I have to. So take that for what it is worth, donks. All right. You're still deadlifting, bro. Have Has having a kid affected your gains? It has absolutely murdered my gains. Uh, I'm lucky if I can get to the gym uh, in any kind of consistent way, uh, mostly because I can't sleep and I have no time. Uh, I think it's going to get better here soon, 
but also I, I got kind of burned out. So like this past, I, I for my, the entirety of my life, and I do mean that, up until age thirty nine, um, I had been going to just the shittiest gyms you could imagine, dude. You know, no one re-racks their weights. I went to a place one time. I saw there was like dead roaches in the corner. Uh, I went to one place where there was no bathroom. There's no water fountain. It was like I mean I've been going to like I mean awful gyms, but. You know, if you had a bunch of racks and it wasn't filled with idiots, that was sort of, I was looking for that. I, I just wanted, how many bench racks do you have? How many squat racks do you have? Dumbbells, that kind of thing. And then this past year, I was like, you know what, man? I'm kind of sick of going to these places where, you know, I had to bring my, okay, bringing my own chalk is no big deal. But then I had to bring my own clips for the bars, you know? And uh, all my, like, all my, I had to bring my own bands. I had to bring my own, like, um ab rollout devices my bag was huge i just got kind of sick of it so i went and joined like this super fancy gym for the first time in my life it was very expensive but it was it was really nice but it's like all the way across town and it's very nice but um you know it takes 30 minutes to get there then you got to park and you got to get there and then you know i'm old now so i have to warm up like for 15 20 minutes and then, you know, you live for about an hour or so, depending how long it goes. You know, you're gone three hours just to get a workout in. Like, it's just way too much time. Way too much time. And then the kid has just been killing my sleep. You know, I love her to death, but she's been killing my sleep. So, I think it's starting to, I think it's, she's in this, what I'm being told by the pediatrician is the last, there might be one more at the 12-month. But she's in the last sort of stage of, um, of um, sleep regression. And I'm hoping after that. So my hope is I'm going to spend this month looking for a new gym. I don't want to join a CrossFit gym, but I've been looking to, like, to get some weightlifting coaching. When I say weightlifting, I mean like snatch, clean and jerk. Um, so, so, uh, so we'll see. But like, yeah, dude, it has, the last eight months have been, longer than that, the last nine months have been hard, very hard. All right, um. How would Henry Cejudo fare in a fight at 145 against Volkanovski? Poorly. Very poorly. Uh, that's one scenario where we've talked about it at nauseum, where Volkanovski's, uh, I was like, oh, he's a, he's a big power puncher. And he is a big power puncher. Don't get me wrong. He's a super big power puncher. But he's so much more than that, that in many ways he doesn't even really use it all that much. Against Cejudo, you would see the power punching difference, I think. I think there's that's when you would be like, whoa. Um, he would get he I think he'd get hurt real bad against Volkanovsky. And that's no knock on Cejudo, man. You know, he's obviously done tremendous, tremendous stuff in the sport, but you know, sometimes there's a bridge too far, bro, and that's one of them. Even though Volkanovsky's not a tall and lanky one forty five or he can thump if he needs to, and against that that'd be a scenario where it'd be like lean into your power a little bit. Because once you can deter him, he's going to be a different scenario. Plus, I think his takedown defense, I think the physical, I just think that in general, the physicality, if they locked up all that stuff, he'd have a very hard time. I, I don't like that fight for him even a little bit. All right. Hi, Luke. Would you be willing to comment on your relationship with Brett Okamoto? Sure. During a recent UFC post-fight show, a question was asked to Brett uh, about if he preferred you or Ariel. <laughs> Brett chose the latter, justifying his choice on the fact that he and Ariel work together at ESPN. But do you think there's any more to it than that? No. Brett and I are cool. 
Brett's a great dude. And if he didn't say that, you know how much hell there'd be to pay it over the ESPN headquarters. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's why he said it. I mean, maybe he really feels that way. I don't know. It doesn't bother me even a little bit. And Brett and I are cool. It's fine. Like, you know, there's these weird things people ask about relationships. People love, I, I've noticed this, people love MMA media beefs, which I think they tend to be ridiculous, but people seem to love them. But in any event, no, Brett and I are cool. And uh, if he said it, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I would expect him to say it. And if he didn't, you know, they would rain fire upon him at his workplace. So, you know. He might feel that way. He might not. But there was only one answer he was going to give to that question. Uh, rank in order of likelihood. Oh, here's a stupid question. I'm not even going to read it because of, uh, well, all right, I'll read it. I, I take that back. GSP returns in 2020. Khabib closes 2020 undefeated in at least two title fights. Okay. Epstein th- did not kill himself. Uh, rank in order of likelihood. I guess the Epstein one. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how likely that is or isn't, but it seems like GSP coming back in 2020, nil, or close to it anyway. And Khabib closes 2020 undefeated in at least two title fights? Pfft, I don't know, man. Even if he just gets injured, that 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 throws that one up there. So I'll go Epstein, Khabib, GSP. There you go. Uh, Luke, do you have any insight as to why it seems not as much attention is given to the impact and possible decline to a fighter's cognition? So, for example, especially in boxing, a fighter would clearly show signs of slurred speech fight. Oh, excuse me. A fighter would clearly show signs of slurred speech fight after fight, but no one, including the commission, uses this as a gauge to see if one should be fighting or not. And they continue to let them compete. The interview with Nick Diaz made me wonder if Combat Sports Commission should not only give them the typical physical test, but also compare and contrast things like speech by looking at old interviews and such to see if there's a clear change and decline in articulation. Well, they do to a certain extent. Um, Typically with older fighters, when I say older, I mean late 30s, early 40s, or if it goes even past that. um, They will. They actually do. Uh, not, it's not like a. I think what you're saying is, should it be like a routine part of the test for any fighter past 35? Well, that's a, you know, that's a question. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that would be. Um, quite frankly, um, that seems a little bit heavy-handed. Here's the problem with that: you would need a speech pathologist to really look into that. I don't know how many. I mean, yes, the commission could do that. I don't think that's the end of the world, but. When you see like an interview with Nick Diaz, this is what I, my whole video was about. People people want like hardcore conclusions about what it means. Dude, maybe he was drunk. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I Maybe he was high. I don't know. Maybe he was high and drunk. M- maybe he's not. Maybe there's a real difference in the way he speaks. I mean, there to me, there was a difference between the way it used to be and the way it is now. But like figuring out why is the issue. I hear people say this all the time about Stipe. He does sound a little bit different. There's a lot of guys who sound a little bit different. Uh, I don't know exactly what to attribute that to. If you're asking me, should we exclude brain damage uh, from the conversation? No, we should not. But we should be very careful about what kind of claims we make as it relates to that. Here's the problem. None of us, unless you have a, a medical degree with this particular specialty as what you, you know, did a residency around, really know what the differences are in a clear and unequivocal way and to what you can attribute those to. 
And so as a consequence, I don't want to be a guy who just goes out there and says, oh, so-and-so's got brain damage. You know, dude, that's almost, that's borderline slander, man. Like, I don't really want to do that. Well, I don't want to ignore that there might be some differences. Uh, maybe you're right. There should be like more commission screening about it. But it's a very, very difficult thing to tell exactly what is happening. What ends up really being the case is that when someone is so far gone, you know, where they're, it's really bad, well, then you can begin to make some determinations. And I think um, you, have a, you have a medical and then I would say commission responsibility to not license this person. That's fairly rare, but that can happen. Like I, I met uh, in 2011, I met Riddick Bowe. Holy shit, man. Like he sounded bad, very bad. Um, that was one of the situations where you're like, it's uncomfortable how bad they sounded. Uh, you know, I, I mean, they, by the way, he then took that fight in Thailand, which was so unethical, the promoters there, but that wouldn't happen here stateside, I don't think, unless he, you know, I don't know, he took some kind of unsanctioned fight somewhere, but in general, the problem is no one can really do anything about it from the media standpoint until if they're so far gone, but when they're in this in-between states where it's not clear exactly what's contributing to it, you have to exercise some discretion. Perhaps, again, just to recircle back to it, perhaps you're right that the commission would want to look into something like that if they ever get relicensed. Fair enough. Uh, but if you're asking, like, why don't MMA media say more about it in defense of them, they don't really know. They don't really know exactly what explains all of it. Um, and, and so because it's this really nebulous thing where it could be age, it could be age and brain damage, it could be age, brain damage, and intoxication, it could just be intoxication. It's this tangled mess. And disentangling that's not easy. You need medical expertise for that. So maybe the yeah the commission should in certain cases, but in terms of just wantonly saying, "Hey, so and so speech has changed just because he got hit in the head," you got to be careful with that, man. Uh, this person asks, "How did you get into the MMA journalism game by accident? Any advice for individuals trying to break into the biz?" I'm a photographer, and I like to get involved in MMA photography, videography, but I don't even know where to start. You know, they usually say if you have to ask the questions, that's a bad sign, but I won't co-sign with that at the moment. Um, okay, so let's say for MMA, photography, and videography, you'd be surprised. Um, there are a, first of all, you should be f photographing something every day, something. You should have an Instagram account devoted to it. I mean, you put the best stuff up there, and it doesn't even have to be every day that you upload, but you should be like constantly filming, constantly studying how to get better at film. Constantly, I mean, you should be in the weeds, bro. Practicing and studying, practicing and studying, practicing and studying. And that's it, okay? Um, so what I would recommend to you is you probably have local promotions that either pay very little or nothing. One, either offer to work for them, see if they'll pay you. If not, just consider or not whether you want to work for free. Or um, you can hit up a media outlet and say, I'll do it for free. Or uh, you can hit up a media outlet and say, or you could try and just get credentialed on your own, whatever, whatever, like there's a lot of different mechanisms you can choose by which to just get in the building and start taking photographs. Cause really that's what, that's what you need. When I say practice, it's nice to go outside and shoot your trees or, uh, something like that. But what you really need is to be there cage side. So see if you can work for the promotion. If that doesn't work, see if you can get a credential, see if you see if they'll pay you. If not, you know, ask yourself if you're willing to work for free. And I know a lot of people like never work for free for something you're good at, right? But what if you're not good at it yet? And also, 
there are gigs that I did for free that I wasn't particularly happy about, but I got some experience in the door and that led to the next one. So that's the first thing I would say. If that's what you really want to shoot, then do that. Also, the same thing kind of goes for your local fighters. Find out who they are. They don't need to be in the UFC. You don't need to do any of that to do good photography of fighters. Go down to a gym and ask them if they want a photographer um, and see if you can see if you can get in the door. They might pay you. They might not. Ask yourself if you're willing to do it for free. You might not be willing to do it for free, in which case that's a decision you have to make. But you need to be doing that shit all the time. right? So that's the first thing I would say related to that. Um, how did I get in? By sheer accident. Just kind of was a... I mean, I've told a story a million times. Was kind of writing about it a little bit on the internet. Um, at the time, MMA.TV, MixedMartialArts.com was looking for a podcaster. Uh, I did a short stint with them. And eventually got... Uh, my first real gig was uh, Bloody Elbow back in February of 2007. My first official business was trying to get the name changed, which they did not want to do, which they ended up later regretting. So shouts to the geniuses that decided not to change the name at the time, which has ended up becoming a bit of a problem for that company. So, you know, from day one, they didn't listen to me. But okay, neither here nor there. Uh, and then that grew into just a series of other gigs. Um from other writing opportunities to I forced my way in the door in terms of television opportunities. So one thing I did, how did I, how did I get onto uh, television opportunities? Um, uh, how did I do that? Here's the answer. So I used Bloody Elbow as a way to just promote myself relentlessly, which, you know, I'm telling you, man, these companies, they may have your best interest at heart. They may not. You need to promote yourself. There was a uh, there was uh, NBC Sports Washington is in Bethesda, and at the time I was working um, at the SB Nation headquarters in DC, which was at the corner of Connecticut Avenue and Rhode Island Avenue in uh, Northwest, right near the uh, right near Dupont Circle, off the Red Line. And what I would do is I would take the Red Line up to Bethesda, and uh, they were trying to get like an MMA apparatus off the ground there. And they would have me come in, and I would sit on their like nice ass studios, and I would just be like their MMA talking head. And I would, they were looking for some promotion, so I would take the videos and put them on Bloody Elbow. And I was looking to get some reps, just you know, do that as much as I could. And then eventually, a TV producer found it and asked me to try out for a show. Um, I tried out on the show with uh, Jamie Kielstein, the comedian, and uh, Stephen Crowder, uh, and I got the gig. Um, I got the gig right before, it was going to be called MMA Now, and um, right before we were set to like, you know, the, the network loved it, the whole bit, it was going to air on Fuel. If you recall Fuel TV, that is what ended up becoming Fox Sports 2. When the UFC and Fox Sports 2, well, I mean, Fox Sports 2 was created in, as a result of like a lot of different things, but in part that UFC deal, it all happened at the same time. They just said, whatever your programming is, cancel all of it. We're just going to go in a different direction. So the TV show, it never materialized. I have it somewhere on my Google Drive. I saved it. One day, maybe I'll release it. Um, but yeah, I got the gig. And I was like, fuck, here we go. This is my life. All right. I've finally been looking. I'm doing the stuff that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And then the whole thing went tits up. Anyway, long story short, the guy who ended up making that show ended up being one of the lead producers for Spike TV's MMA Uncensored Live. And when they decided to go in a bit of a different direction in terms of their personnel, 
he gave me a call. He was like, do you want this job? And I said, I absolutely want this job. And, uh, and then I got that. Now, since then, obviously, the UFC has hoarded most of the television gigs to the point where either they like you and you're on TV or they don't and you're not, which is the situation I'm in now. But the point being was I just found ways to get the work done, try to do as best as I could, promote the quality of it, and in general, you can send it to people or they might find it depending on the platform, but I've had a lot of success doing that. So there you go. Uh, let's see. What is your take on Chael Sonnen and his propensity to get crucial facts wrong in his analysis videos? Uh, sometimes he blah, 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 blah. Well, okay. You got to show me evidence. Otherwise, I'm not going to comment on it. Show me evidence. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're right. I'm not, I'm not going to weigh in on an accusation without evidence. So show me some evidence, and then we'll talk about it. Where do you see MMA, specifically the UFC, 10 years from now? Shit, man. If I knew the answer to that, I'd say I'd be rich, but the UFC would still put a block on my ability to get any of the bigger jobs. But um, um, fuck, man. I don't know. The streaming wars are hard to figure out who's going to be the winner, who's going to be the loser. Um, how the growth of jobs like this one on the internet will change things. Uh, you asked about the sport in general. Which global powers? I, I would say this. I would expect the rise of certain other territories in the next 10 years. Like in the last 10 years from 2010 to 2020, you saw the UK already had a presence, but I think it grew. Um, obviously, the Oceania region has had its unbelievable growth. Brazil, a bit of a decline. Um, Spanish-speaking Latin America had a big growth period in that time, uh, and so on and so forth. I would expect, you know, keep your eye on China, keep your eye on some other places, South Korea. I don't know. South Korea already produces a lot of talent, I suppose. But in any event, just keep your eye on places that are either not powerhouses or like, you know, are okay I would suspect that there's going to be one of them is going to hit in the next 10 years, and we'll see how that changes things. Um, certainly, I hope it's not the case, but there might be a death in the next 10 years on a major promotion on national television, which would be obviously terrible, but keep that in mind. But beyond that, you know, I don't really know about the mechanism of delivery and how it's all going to look and who's going to be leading it and all that kind of stuff. MMH, MMA, you know, just in terms of personnel. I've often said two measures to success, how high you reach and how long you're there, because it is a constantly changing, ugly business. So, you know, 10 years from now is such a time horizon that it becomes almost impossible to predict. But other than, other than uh, one of those territories is going to hit, well, you know, I don't know, um, parts of Africa potentially, but that one seems a bit of a long shot, but the China one's kind of interesting. Um, obviously some of the players that are here now won't be and when I say players I mean like larger promotions or television entities that'll be that'll be hard to figure out all right by the way what time is it one okay More Kayla stuff. I'll skip that. 
Do you think fans don't embrace Woodley as much as they should because of his victim mentality? That seems a very simplistic assessment of why people do or don't. I would think he would be more of a fan favorite, but he's definitely not. I think it's because he says everyone is racist and he's a victim. Well, this is a politically loaded question with a false set of assumptions that it's not worth taking seriously. Luke, to what do you attribute the relative dominance of wrestling-based fighters over jiu-jitsu-based fighters in recent years? In your opinion, does wrestling have significant advantages over jiu-jitsu? Well, both have significant advantages over the other. It all depends on the series of circumstances. Um, in general, though, what I think you're, what do you think you're uh, sort of attributing this to is um, there is a lot of important carryover for combative uh, sports with wrestling. Uh, in particular, obviously, the ability to get the takedown. I think people, there's one thing people always sleep on is your base. These guys are, if you ever find a wrestler, they're hard to sweep, right? They've got really good balance, really good ability to either, if they lose their balance, get it back or just never lose it to begin with. They've got a good, a good ability to fight for it. They've got good grappling strength that they've been developing for a long time. They usually have a good gas tank. They've got a lot of good pressure. And so if you can teach somebody like that, like a Nick Rodriguez, if you can teach him good submission defense and like you know key portions of his game to focus on, they can go further faster than someone just picking up jujitsu off the break. It doesn't mean that wrestling is necessarily better than jujitsu, although you could say it might be better for um, it might be better for you know um, it, even this is a bit of an overgeneralization, but some of the skills of elite wrestling that carry over from the takedown ability to, again, the balance, to the strength, to the all those kinds of things. Those are great for crossover uh, skills into MMA or potentially into jiu-jitsu. You know, a lot of people get into jiu-jitsu later in life, and they haven't spent a lifetime wrestling, so they don't have all of those instincts or skills built up. So when you come in there, you're going to have a relative advantage. You know, but um, jiu-jitsu also has a lot of advantages over wrestling. It just depends on the rule set and who's applying them. And everything else. It's just that you're getting you're getting better athletes from wrestling because they're recruiting younger. Um, the very best ones, you can have very very good wrestlers, and they can't make any money off of it. So they they you can get really good athletes with high level skill sets who can translate over and learn very easily. Whereas a lot of people with jujitsu, a they don't learn some of the skills that perhaps they should as relates really, let's say takedowns, and then also. Um, um, uh, you know they might they might come to it later in life. On the other hand, um, so I guess what you could say is for certain foundational skills and the recruitment of high-level athletes, it might be better. On the other hand, you know, jiu-jitsu obviously has with the right kind of person, like a, like a, um, you know, like a Bouchesha or a Adolfo Vieira or, um, you know, somebody like that, um, or a or a um, who's another one that's Kanan Duarte or something like that. You know, they have a lot of the skills. Not, you know, I don't say that they're wrestlers, but they have a lot of some of the skills that a wrestler might. And um, they have all the other things that really matter in terms of all the submission skills and gripping systems and things like attacks from the back, things like that. So it's the melding of the two, but what you're speaking about is some certain structural issues that, that recruit and then pipeline in high-level talent with these really foundational athletic um, skills. All right, uh, you don't ever need to leave money, but if you do, I don't want to leave you hanging. So I will get to that now. Let's see, do you think the U.S. would actually reopen the draft? Fuck no. Would that? 
Buddy, they're not bringing back the draft. I know that if you're if you're 18, you had to sign your selective service card or whatever. Buddy, you want to talk? You want to talk about a political non-starter? There is zero appetite for that. Um, can you adjust the angle on your Predator action figure? The reflection from your ceiling fan is giving my children epileptic fits. Yeah, I, mean, I forgot to do that before I started the show. Is that better? Yeah, look at that. It's better. Uh, if Tony wins, who do you see him and Connor matching? What? Who do you see him and Connor matching? How do you see them Connor matching? Um Tony is a really bad matchup for Connor late. Connor is a really bad matchup for Tony early. It would depend entirely on whether or not that fight could go past the second round. Speak to Connor's pay structure under the ESPN Plus deal. I don't know what it is. Will there be a heftier purse similar to or more than Khabib's six million at Abu Dhabi? Will he get that plus a larger percentage? There's no way to know. You're gonna have to ask him. Don't know. Greatest chin in MMA. Nelson's versus Lewis was amazing. Uh, that's a good one. I mean, Noguera in his prime was... Pr I mean, Noguera versus Bob Sapp, you know, where he's getting slammed on his head and neck and then also just punched in the face repeatedly. Like, that's one of the great chins I've ever seen. Do you think GSP will return? I do not. I mean, he might, but not anytime soon. Also, I'm not really, like, looking for it. Are y'all looking for it? Are all that desperate for GSP? I'm not. I had my fill of them. I guess if you're new to the sport, maybe you want them more, but like, I don't, I'm good. I mean, I wouldn't cry if he was back. It'd be great. I'm not saying it wouldn't be great, but like, oh man, I really need GSP to come back now. Like he, he, I mean, I got most, I've seen almost all of his fights. Like I'm good. Rate best to worst, listening to Face the Pain, being in the arena with idiots, wooing, listening to Skip Bayless, MMA analysis of McGregor-Diaz. Best to worst. MMA analysis of McGregor-Diaz could be good on occasion. Um, listening to Skip Bayless, I would put second. Being in the... Uh, yeah, be, no. Listening to Face the Pain, and now the arena with the idiots wooing has become the worst. God, dude, that shit is so bad. And I know I had this debate with Brian Campbell. Like, if I paid money, I should do that. Well, yeah, man. You can do lots of things in society that you're permitted to do. It doesn't make it a good idea. And it doesn't make it a, a, a great way to actually, like, like, I'm just going to live my life doing uh, what I'm entitled to when I feel like it. That's a really bad way to create ugly environments and, you know, situations where people just simply don't want to be around you. Like... You know, if, if, if the idea is that we are gregarious creatures and that we need one another and that we are to live with each other in some kind of uh, social arrangement, it you know, you can do what you want, but that's not a really harmonious way to live. And frankly, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a better way to live. Uh, you know, your needs come first, but your needs don't come first all the time, all the time and in every circumstance like taking care of the public space of the of the of the you know of, of your neighbors to a degree uh, 
and we could debate what the responsibilities are and when they exist and how, and how long they, and to what extent they should be enforced. But this is this is a better way to live. I told you, I go to boxing fights and not hearing it. Oh my god, dude! It's like a breath of fresh air. It's the best thing ever. So these people who are doing it, they're just awful, awful people. After his impressive win over Vicente Luque, what do you think is next for Wonder Boy? Well, he's a little bit long in the tooth, so he's got his work cut out for him. If you go down to the welterweight rankings, he's still sitting at seven. The Demi and Maya fight's kind of sitting out there, Rafael Dos Anjos, because everyone else is sort of in that space by themselves. So I'd say something around those. They might do the, I mean, we'll see how things go with Pettis. They might do the rematch there. Would you like to see uh, F.A. Ajagba box next? Happy New Year, Chunky Brewster. Hope your new partnership with your channel exceeds your expectations. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, any chance you and BC do a live show for the Brooklyn card? Uh, I don't think we'll do a live show for... Um, I don't think we'll do a live show for... Well, we always do a live show for Morning Combat, but do you mean like the... The prelim streams, yes, we are doing it. For January 25th, Brian Campbell and I are doing the uh, Garcia. We're going to do the uh, Garcia fight, the prelims on that card. So that should be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping a lot more uh, action in terms of those responsibilities as the year progresses. That would be a ton of fun. If you were a UFC fighter, what is your weight class and what, who do you fight? Uh, heavyweight, I suppose with some time I could get down to 205. I need some time. Uh, and who do you fight? I don't know. Fucking somebody who sucks so I could win. Like, that shit does not matter to me. When will... Masvidal became a star after knocking out Till and Askren. Just imagine how big a star Tony will be after submitting Khabib. Well, first he's got to do it. But if he does it, yeah, that'd be huge. I mean, think about the star Khabib became after submitting Connor. Um, so, Yeah. Also, you'd have to wonder what happens to Cowboy if he beats Connor. I don't suspect that. I don't suspect that that is likely, but you certainly have to take it seriously as a possibility. And if it happens, oh man, he is going to hit the big time. He is going to do a victory lap like you've never seen before. Certainly, Tony would be a big star as well. Um, but Tony's clock is ticking. Was he 35, 36, something like that? Like he needs. We need to get that guy. Uh, I'm glad he's got the fight in April. We need to get him as active as we possibly can. All right, let's do this. There we are. Uh, I think we got one more here, if I can. Stream's looking good. Luke, Happy New Year. How do you see Wilder versus Fury 2 going down? Can Wilder knock Fury out? Yeah, he can knock out anybody. Duke can knock out an elephant. I mean, here's the deal with that, right? It's like, someone, who, someone called my show the other day. They're like, dude, you know, Wilder is a shit boxer, and back in my day, everyone was better, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, I'm not here to tell you that. Like, dude, show me a fighter that uh, that um, Wilder fought where he was the better boxer of the two, like the better pure boxer over the course of the fight itself. Dude, this like doesn't happen at all, man. It doesn't happen at all. Like you almost, you know, and not anytime soon. You rarely ever see that kind of a thing. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. That dude, uh, he just needs the tiniest of windows to let his power do the talking, and it's a completely different ballgame. Now, 
Fury's going to have a new trainer for this one. Um, he'll have the experience of going 12 rounds previously. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways this could go, but like the interesting thing about Wilder is like, let me pull this up just to, for, for, um, record keeping sake. So here's the last point about Deontay Wilder. So he fought. All right. So consider this. So he fought Berman Stavern the first time it went to a unanimous decision. He fought Berman Stavern the second time he got KO'd in the first. Okay. Um, he fought Luis Ortiz the first time, went 10 rounds. He fought Luis Ortiz the second time and went seven. I thought he had fought in Dominique Brazil twice, but he is not. Um, I don't know why I thought that. In any event, in a couple of the rematches he's had, not only did he win the second one, but he won it quicker than the first. Now, I thought he lost the first fight. I, mean, I realize he didn't. It was a draw. But, you know, I thought Tyson Fury had done enough. Whatever you want to say about that 12th round knockdown, like, you know, or whatever whatever knockdown the round was in, I can't remember anymore. You know, you, you, you thought, uh, well, then that might be it. But he got up, so I didn't think that was enough to win the fight itself. Um you know, dude, is there any question Tyson Fury is going to outbox him? Like, there's zero question about that. Tyson Fury is going to outbox him for as long as that fight probably lasts. The question is, uh, can Wilder find a window for his trademark power to close the show? And uh, the answer is maybe. But if you look at his rematches, again, and Berman Stavern and Luis Ortiz are not Tyson Fury, nor am I suggesting as much. But he's always done better in rematches. Um, just keep that in mind. So to me, I'm highly intrigued. I would favor Tyson Fury to win. But old boy's got his work cut out for him. But I mean, that is a very, very interesting and difficult fight. Really, really interesting and difficult fight. So there you go. Uh, okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. We did good numbers on this one, boy. Look at this. Appreciate everyone tuning in. I love doing this podcast. Uh, as always, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. You can hit me up on email, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back next week. And then in two weeks, by the way, I'll be on vacation, but I will probably still do my live chat uh, even on vacation. If not, I'll do a recorded version and upload it. One way or the other, I'll do a version of it. So just keep that in mind. Not next week, but the one following. I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be on vacation. All right? All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time, stay frosty.